0: welcome to surfcast thank you for joining me today my guests include the prophet the poster child and the icon guys collectively these three educators have been in higher education for over 105 years 80 of those years have been here at lee university make yourself comfortable and stick around you don't want to miss this interview Guys, we're back. Welcome, Doctor Moore. I call you the Prophet, as well as everyone else. Right? How you doing, Bud? I'm doing well. Now you'll remember this name if you've heard Surfcast before, because Doctor Moore has been with us a couple of times, and one of those was a live uh, episode, uh, like people in the audience, right? Yes, it was. That was a lot of fun. So we call you the Prophet. Now we know Doctor Moore that you're a professor of education. I'm sorry, a professor of Old Testament with a special specialty in Old Testament prophets and Pentecostal biblical hermeneutics. He's an ordained bishop in the Church of God. He's an author, a chapel favorite, the son of Pentecostal church planners. He and his wife Jean live in Cleveland. They have children and grandsons, and I guess they call you Papa or Granddaddy. Where they call you Papa,
1: and we have one granddaughter. That's
0: right. You do have a granddaughter now, and I'm a Papa, which is really cool. So, yep. um, Trish, we call you the Poster Child. Now we know this because you were once the recipient of the Charles W. Charles W. Kahn Servant Leadership Award here at Lee University, right?
2: That's correct. So when we
0: call you that, it's with such love and we appreciate and value the fact that as you look across the landscape of Lee University, we know that this lady who is a special education professor, she's all things in higher education, but she loves people and people love her. And we want to welcome you to the show today.
2: Thank you. You Thank you. Dr. Thomas, this guy
0: is uh, soon moving to Naples, Florida. Is that right? That is right. He and his wife, Dale, have spent... I guess, most of their life here in Cleveland, Tennessee. And yes. you're going to move closer to Shannon and her husband and they're going to be down there?
3: Yeah, we, we think there we'll see them more often than we would if we were here in Cleveland. So, any uh, any grandbabies that uh, we, uh, we... No, we have we a we grand don't. puppy. That counts. <laughs> <laughs> well, I call this guy the icon
0: for many reasons. If you've ever been in his classroom, you would think the same thing. If you've ever heard um, the instrumental music coming off of the piano at a graduation, that would have been Dr. Thomas. But my wife, who recently... Um, retired and is now home full-time as a grana worked for this guy for 13 years and i have found him to be legit welcome to
3: surfcast Well, thank you very much and uh, i really enjoyed working with your wife for those years she you got was, it she man. was a wonderful uh, addition to our work together mm-hmm. over at the school of music
0: i told her that you were going to be on the show today and she said to you hello." So okay there you go. i'll tell her hello too you got it hey guys this is great i mean 105 years the three of you have put together in higher education Let's talk about it, and in particular, in Christian higher education. You know, the world is in a bit of a flux in many ways. So when we talk about education, Trish, we'll start with you. When we talk about education and Christian education, why is that so important? And bring us up to speed a little bit on on what that means.
2: Okay. Well, I think, well, sometimes I I count this as a a privilege as well. So for my undergrad degree, I went to the University of London, and so because that was um, very secular. Those, you know, you. I was actually told by one um, professor uh, in my theology classes, "How long can you maintain this intellectual schizophrenia?" Ah. Um, because I believed in miracles and believed, you know, so I, I was able to maintain that kind of belief in a secular setting, and of course, also my doctoral work. Um, but when I came to Lee, it was—it's just so wonderful. Um, to be able to pray in class, to be able to share with students, uh, to give devotions, um, and to really integrate your faith in what you do, especially in in teaching. I I think probably lots of people would agree that perhaps next to what we might call classical ministry, uh, teaching is one of those professions where you interact with people, not just to educate them, but on a a level of spirituality as well.
0: Dr. Thomas, um, forty-five years. Wow. I mean, that that's great. It's it's awesome. But but talk to us about. You had options. You could have went any number of places you wanted to go. Why did Why did Lee and Christian education really matter to you?
3: I think it it mattered for me because I was here as an undergraduate, and I was able to see, for the first time, really in my life, people who modeled not only Excellence in uh, in scholarship and in in performing music and in doing the things I love to do in, in music, but also were strongly committed to their faith and being able to meld the two of those in a way that uh, I felt was important for me, and to watch it modeled by somebody was uh, was something that uh, just opened my mind and my heart to possibilities. And so when the opportunity uh, made itself uh, known to me to come back as a faculty member, I jumped at the chance. I was delighted to get to do that because I wanted students whom I had the privilege to interact with also had that same experience. And maybe I could model that for them. I certainly tried. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Well, I think you did it very well, Dr. Thomas, for sure. Dr. Moore, we, you and I have kind of talked about this phrase, the prophet. We've talked about this term in and out, you know, and I remember one day recently you came in and you sat down in front of my desk and we had a kind of an in-depth conversation. And, and in that conversation it was pretty clear that I trust Ricky Moore, without a doubt. I trust Ricky Moore. Why is Christian education, why is Christian higher education necessary
1: at this era of time in our world? Well, I, I think it's obvious to to all of us that uh, you know our Christian faith uh, is a is a countercultural um, conviction, and um, you know Jesus taught his disciples. You know the world hates me, and the world will hate you. And I think that many times we can live for long stretches in a given culture. We can think this is a Christian culture, but ultimately, I think. Uh, Sooner or later, we're we're going to see uh, the forces of culture put us in a position of, uh, of um, you know, of of pressure, of opposition, um, and I think um, and I think that we've got to resist those tendencies. Sometimes I think when when a culture seems to be Christian, it can be a more subtle attack upon the faith, and we can, you know. Uh, wake up one day and realize we've drifted a long way from the, the call of Jesus. Um, and uh, so uh, there's never been a culture that's been more hostile um, uh, against my Christian faith, you know, in my context, in my lifetime. And I think that's probably what others around me would say. We're starting to feel that more and more. And, um, and so I think it's, it's gonna be a great uh, time of uh, challenge but also a great time of opportunity because I think these are the kind of times that purify and refine uh, our faith. Mm-hmm. Dr. Thomas,
0: um, this whole idea of, of 45 years, I get stuck on that, man, and I, mm-hmm. and it just really, I mean, you've seen buildings come up, you've seen buildings raised here, you know, raised as destroyed and raised up as being built. How has education changed? I mean, you've been on the cusp of, of every trend and every imaginable approach or focus over the last 30 plus years for sure yeah. as it's shifted? How has it changed? And, and what do you think is worth keeping um, in this paradigm today?
3: Well, one of the things that I'm really excited about is the fact that Lee, in my mind, um, is a place where any young student who is thinking about the merger of their mind and their faith, I think Lee is a great place to come and explore that with people who have, who have made it their lives work and their lives thinking in many cases because so many of my colleagues, I'm so uh, so thrilled to get to serve with them because I hear them articulate this in ways and, and I see them uh, live it out in ways that, that are so exciting to me. So I think it's important for those for the for us to continue that commitment it is it's not easy in fact i think it's harder now than it ever was because the the uh, little proverbial foxes that uh, our our students and we get exposed to in this culture it's really it's so much easier i think uh, for the gray areas to become more gray and and less definable. Mm-hmm. And I think we really have to work very hard to say to ourselves, you know, what is that Christian underpinning that we want to preserve? And I I think we're trying as an institution to continue to do that, but I, I never want us to lose sight of that because otherwise, why should we exist?
0: Exactly. Good. Mm-hmm. Dr. McLaughlin, one of our uh, colleagues and friends, Dr. Gary Riggins, um, once spouted and talked about the idea of the importance of Christians working in non-Christian education. Mm-hmm. You train educators. You spent your life training educators. Why is it important for Christians who come to Lee and graduate from Lee University um, to go back into public education, which is changing by the minute. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about mm-hmm. a year, man. It is changing by the minute. So what advice would you give to those who are getting ready to walk in just a few weeks, you know, as they enter into public education but with a Biblical lens and a Christian frame? Mm-hmm.
2: Well, I think, you know, part of what we do in when we're training is to try to point out to, to them that it's not going to be like Lee, you know, where you mm-hmm. can openly share your faith, and in fact, we're told in public education you can't, cannot share your faith. Mm-hmm. Um, so we try to give them experiences particularly in their student teaching. So, for example, we've placed more and more people down in Chattanooga and in urban um, in inner city uh, settings where they will experience what that's like mm-hmm. um, before they actually leave, leave. Um, and we'll get that, that kind of opportunity to feel this isn't like Lee. This, this is uh, almost completely different. Um, yet I can still live my faith out. I can still um pray in the school Mm. um like i remember when i was in public schools, not not out loud of course but um i used to pray every morning when i went to the school i was in here lord may i move through this school in the power of your spirit today that was an inner prayer of mine Mm. um and i think that's what we encouraged them to do you don't always have to say anything um i think it was saint patrick that said uh Preach the gospel wherever you go. If necessary, use words. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I—that's what I think we—we we try to encourage them mm-hmm. to be like, yeah.
0: Truly, the the, the idea of salt and light
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know,
0: being mm-hmm. um, images and reflections. I, I often talk about the distinction between reflection and refraction, and how often perhaps people are getting more of a kind of you know, blurred lens of who Jesus really is, when they should be getting a direct image, a reflection of who he is from us. Mm -hmm. Dr. Moore, um, churches and Christian education, why does it matter? Uh, Why does Christian education matter to churches and what should pastors know about higher ed that would cause them to champion the idea of Christian education for those um, students that are growing up in their churches?
1: yes because Um, you've had
0: a foot in both of those you sure you've you've preached many years in the local church and you've walked the halls of education for many years as well
1: right you know i would just begin by saying it is hard to uh uh, be successful and effective in that integration that all of us have been talking about Mm -hmm. all by ourselves Mm -hmm. in a you know in a secular environment um and it's hard, I think, very difficult for an, a Christian institution, an institution of, of um, Christian higher ed, to do that all by itself. So I think from the beginning, uh, this institution has existed in partnership with the church. And and I think that partnership, because of all the, the other things I mentioned just a moment ago, has never been more important, never been more significant. Um and I, I think pastors, I think the rank-and-file pastors are feeling uh, the threats of the mm-hmm. culture, just like we are. I, I heard somebody say the other day, w- we tend to be on, the, on, on a front line of the, um, the hostility of, of, of uh, the anti-Christian culture. But, but I, I think that pastors in churches can see the gathering storm mm-hmm. of, of all of this. Uh, and so... Uh, I think it's never been more important that, um, that we uh, stand shoulder to shoulder and try to support one another in our missions. And I think our, our, even though our missions are different, they're uh, inseparably linked together. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, but I, you know, I think we feel that just right on down to our own children. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, my children came to Lee and graduated from here. And... You know, my wife and I, we believe in, you know, raising them up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. I know we all of us feel that way about raising our children. But I am so thankful, you know, for for them to come to a place like this and find uh, teachers and these various uh, vocations and fields of study and fields of expertise. Um, Yeah, because, you know. They leave the nest, and they need that exposure mm-hmm. to other uh, ways of seeing the Christian faith modeled, and they've seen it here at Lee. You know, you're kind of leading into this
0: whole idea of calling. So from the three of you, why? I um, don't why, but, but, but walk me through for a minute or so piece and tell us how did you know this is what you're supposed to be putting your hand to? I mean, I'm a good cook. Let me just be honest with you. I'm a good cook. I love to cook. Like, I'm a great cook. Like, if there's one area in my life that... That pride and arrogance would cause me to fail. It would be in the kitchen, you know, or better yet, in the <laughs> outdoor kitchen at my house, which you were there just a couple of nights ago, Ricky. But, 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 talk to me about how did you know this was it? How did you know that what you're doing now is what God made you for?
3: I think for me, just about every everything deep in in my life has been a result of. God's breathing in, and speaking to me in, in circumstances and in inaudible ways that I just knew and I couldn't necessarily explain all of it. In fact, I remember when my, some of my first memories are of being in church and sitting on the proverbial knee and actually in this case literal knee of the church pianist and being in, enraptured with the sound and the whole experience, I, I can't imagine my life without music. Uh, and even uh, I tried running away from it a few times and uh, it, it never was fruitful in any way. I could never get away from it. And I always also felt that I had a passion for sharing whatever I knew with, with other people. So it seemed reasonable to me that I should be uh, doing the best I can as a musician and the best I can as a sharer of, of music and and my passion for it with students. And so Christian higher ed was almost a, a, a logical, well it was a logical choice and not only that, it was where I felt ab- absolutely called and, and I wasn't ever sure of that, frankly, until I, been here for a while, and then it was like, Yeah, I'm at the right place, all of the pieces fall into place, and I'm at peace with myself.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm probably one of those people who uh, you hear say, I've always wanted to be a teacher, um, but how to express that calling is sometimes quite difficult, and so we have a question on one of our questionnaires for our student teachers, which asks them to articulate um, vocation as a calling. And so sometimes I say to them, I'm not asking you to have heard an audible voice from God, like, you know, Trish, be a teacher. um, But how can you describe that? So I describe it as that tug in the heart, Mm. that feeling of, I I think like um, Dr. Thomas said, You have some ability in that area, but also you have a love for children, obviously. I mean, I have said to some students, do you like children? And sometimes they'll say no. And then I think, well, maybe teaching is not (laughs) the thing for you. Um, So, yeah, for me, and it's been opportunities. It's just been open doors. Um, You know, again, when I applied to University of London, someone from my home city interviewed me. And gave me an opportunity, so it's been open doors. It's been open doors um, with Bradley County Schools, and certainly open doors here at Lee University. Mm. So there's a scripture which says, "I being in the way, the Lord led me," mm. and I think that's that's been experienced with Alan and I as husband and wife as well. I can't say I had we ever had a plan, but God has opened up those ways and those doors for us. Awesome.
1: Yeah. Well, there's probably nothing I enjoy talking about more than, than calling. Uh, teaching in the School of Religion here at Lee, we focus on that a lot. And students focus on it a lot and struggle with it a lot. Um, but I, I like the ING on calling. Um, I Because I, I think for me, and what I try to teach, teach my students is that, you know, our calling is all about God calling us. And it tends not to be just a one-time thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a lifelong thing. It goes on and on and on. I even feel like God is calling me right now to retire. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, there's a lot of uncertainty in it. The great moments of calling in my life have been that way. You know, I think of the biblical paradigm of Abraham where God calls him and says, "You know, leave your country, leave your kindred, and go to a land I will show you." And so, um, I could lay that on a number of moments in my life where I entered a new phase or I took a new step into, a, you know, some completely new territory. Coming to Lee was like that for me. I taught at the seminary for twenty-five years, but but I just knew that. You know the nest was being unsettled, and and I knew something was happening even before uh, it it came into focus for me that God was calling me. So I could see so many more things, but but that's what what uh, stands out to me is just the, you know the the unending relentless call of God. Getting up every morning and and just putting ourselves in a posture of listening, and He calls us you know through the day mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. do this, step here. Spend some time here that you m- maybe weren't planning on. Mm-hmm. Um, I heard one of our professors at the School of Religion, Dr. Julie Martinez, the other day say um, she was quoting one of her mentors: "Interruptions are our business." Mm-hmm. And she mm-hmm. talked about the way we see interruptions in the life of Jesus and the Gospels, and the way uh, you know so many of us you know see God showing up. Mm-hmm not in in necessarily the plans we've made but in the interruption of those plans i um i've used this term many times lifelong learner and um
0: i was telling some students the other night at my house i i wrote my graduation speech but i've never been invited to give the graduation speech so it's kind of funny and one day i'll never forget it when i finished my master's you know i was expecting that the folks at lee were going to invite me to speak you know at graduation and i'm just telling you the truth i was walking down the street here at the campus, and I'll never forget the, the the three phrases came came to my mind as I was talking about that, you know, speak less, listen well, and learn more. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's something that even though that speech, I just gave it to you if you're graduating, you just caught my graduation speech, but, <laughs> but as I think about that, it reminds me that really in my life, I've got to spend the energy and the time to be a lifelong learner. And the three of you have modeled that In so many ways on our campus I mean I know all three of you personally I've walked the streets per se not literally perhaps but in conversation for sure with you um, about this whole idea so when we talk about lifelong learners what advice do you have for students um, that are graduating in just a few weeks and those that are going to be coming in the days ahead about this idea because if I know the three of you well even though you're headed into retirement You're not going to stop. You're going to keep learning, and you're going to keep giving, and you're going to keep doing. Speak to students for just a minute. What is is that? What is that? What's important for them to know at this stage? Trish, we start. Everybody's pointing to (laughs) you, Trish. Go
2: ahead. Um, I I guess this phrase "lifelong learner" it's part of our you know motif over at the uh, school, school of education. I find it hard to understand why people aren't interested in things so i think modeling that of course is really important so i, I give students a, a kind of an illustration of this you know you no know, maybe you go to a i don't know whether just a meeting um an in-service training or some kind of professional development and you know sometimes when we go to these things we sort of think Oh no, I don't really want to go. I could be in my office, like we're talking about the interruptions and things like that. But the minute I get in there, I can't help but engage in it. Mm-hmm. Um, even if it was like math, which I'm n- not particularly uh, <laughs> fond of. But then. I'm d- glad to hear that yeah. from a educator <laughs> <Yeah>. of educators. <laughs> yes. That's great. So um, I, I, I think maybe it is a God given thing sort of an interest in people, an interest in learning more. Um, For me, it's an inability not to listen. So I think we've mentioned listening, and so I think if I could impart anything into my students as they leave, it would be keep listening, and it's similar to what you said. Listen to the people you interact with, listen to the news, um, read, just keep listening. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I, I thought of that first, uh, the, the Hebrew uh, Shema, you know, that, uh, that scripture that we hear Jesus quoting in the Gospels, you know, loving the Lord with all of our heart, soul, and strength. It begins by another verb before we get to loving, it's hear, mm-hmm. or I think it's even a blending of hearing and obeying like our word heed, mm-hmm. so just living our life in that posture, And then uh, what else comes to mind when you talk about lifelong learner, that's a metaphor of time. I think of the the metaphor of space, of, uh, you know, Jesus telling the disciples, follow me. And, you know, that that is not just a one-time command. I mean, it is the command that that marks the whole life. And so it's amazing how much of Scripture emphasizes this metaphor of journey. Of of traveling uh, a road of life, and uh, that's been very very helpful to me. And I just find it in lots of different places in Scripture. Um, and as we as we follow the Lord, I mean, there's just endless wonder, mm-hmm. uh, endless surprises. Uh, you know, I'm I'm at the point of retirement, and I've never been more excited about mm. the future.
0: Yeah,
1: uh, I really haven't. I know that there are some difficult days ahead, demanding days, you know, getting older, losing so many things with age. Uh, but, you know, um, I think there are wonders of, of God's revelation and enablement that come with all of that. And mm-hmm. Learning how to face death mm-hmm. is a big part of that. I mean, that was, that was the, the final exam of Jesus and the disciples, was, mm-hmm. was trying to get them to be with him in facing death.
3: Yeah. So. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's really easy for uh, folks without the benefit of the age at which I am, uh, for younger folks to, to see life as a series of end points rather than beginning points. And of course, I think of the word commencement, it's obvious that's that, that word is chosen for a reason. Because it really is not, it is, of course, the end of something, but it is more importantly the beginning of a whole process. I can't imagine myself stopping learning about the things that that, uh, that I've been engaged in for all these many, many, have nearly half a century now in my life. There's all this... Music to experience, and all these people to know about, and and why people in the 20th century wrote the music they wrote, and why people in the the time of the ancient Greeks thought the way they thought, and on and on. And I try to I try to get that excitement into my students. And so, if I can do that at all, by by saying this. Uh, there is this wonderful world out there for you to discover. I agree with Trish. I can't imagine someone just saying, "Okay, I'm done. Now, now I can rest on my laurels and tell you everything I know." Well, that would be a really boring conversation. Yeah. <laughs> and further, I would be really bored if that were my, if that were my approach. I bore really easily, so I, I, <laughs> I, I do. I continue to push myself to do things like writing program notes, for instance. Uh, because every time I learn something new and I find it, it's hard work, but it sure is worth it at the end If for nobody, nobody else's aggrandizement but my mind. I'm happy with that. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. So let's shift now. Let's talk to parents. What do parents need to know? Um, what, what do they need to know about the college choice with their children? And we'll start with the papa over here.
1: Well, well, for me, um, I think about that question now in relation to my, my grandchildren, and I know it'll they'll be ready for college even though they're 12, 8, and 4 now. Uh, I know in a blink of an eye, you know, uh, they will be uh, making that choice. And, um, you know, in some ways I feel like my thoughts on that question have already been expressed and how I've answered these other questions. Mm I, um, you know, I think one of the most important discoveries for me, um, handles for me, in my journey and calling as a teacher is realizing the uh, connection between parenting my own children and uh, teaching all these sons and daughters that make up the student body of Lee, when I saw it as an extension of my parenting, I think it was kind of like a breakthrough for me, because it helps helped me to see and to keep foremost in my mind what what's at stake in in all of this. So, you know, maybe maybe that's a good way to to turn the question back to parents: Who do you want to parent your child, your children? Mm-hmm. Who do you want to parent them? And um, you know that's one of the reasons why I'm not going to be any less of a supporter of Lee University after I retire because i <laughs> i I feel a sense of investment in this place mm-hmm. uh for the generations that haven't even arrived yet
2: mm-hmm. um, well, playing off a little bit of uh, what Ricky said uh I had a s- married student. <coughs> run up to me about, yeah, just about five days ago. She threw her arms around me and said, you're my second mom. And I th- I had never seen myself like that, actually to that particular girl, although we were close and we'd had classes together. And so she's just very excited to tell me she was having a baby.
3: Oh. Mm-hmm. She
2: said, um, we're having a baby in December. Um, Ricky would actually probably, would know who, who I'm talking about maybe. Um, and she said, I just want you to know. And she repeated again, you're like my second mom. <laughs> and so I think I, th- I think the, the parent motif, f- who, who do you want to parent your child, finding out who the professors are, finding out what they're like. Um, do you have people at Lee University who you want to have an influence on your child? And then the other thing I think I'd say to parents is that every child is different. And again, playing off something that Dr. Moore said uh, or it was a devotion but train a, uh, a child in the way that he should go and then when he's old he won't depart from it. And I think that that's not talking about you know spanking or things like that. That's talking about that every person has an individual call and sometimes as parents maybe we think oh we want our, our kids to do this. Mm-hmm. But letting them find their own way with guidance, I think that's what I'd say to parents. Good.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think I think parenting is a balancing act between uh, between protection and leadership and and letting go. And the letting go is the hardest part. Trust me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you are not a parent yet, you will understand that later. <laughs> but that process, I think, is absolutely essential for parents to realize they should guide but also let go and let the child dream his or her own dream and say, you know, here are facts, here are, here are my thoughts. But ultimately, to let the child understand that the decision at, at the point, especially at college, has to be a personal thing where the the student makes the decision about major, I mean, how many times have I heard a parent ask the question in an advising session, well, what can he or she do with this job? And sometimes my answer is, well, I usually find some way to craft that to make the parent happy at the moment, but it may be that Whatever the, the student is passionate about may not be their actual job in their lives, mm-hmm. but it will always be deep in their hearts and, in my opinion, just as valuable. In fact, I remember one of my colleagues uh, relating a story of a, a friend of his in, at his church where he attends, and he said, this gentleman has an undergraduate degree, a Bachelor of Arts in Music. And he is a professional contractor. And so he asked the gentleman, okay, if you were to go back now looking at your life, would you change your major? And the guy said, absolutely not. The music is a source of real pleasure and, mm-hmm. and joy for me. And this other thing is just my job. So I, I think that's what one of the things I would tell parents is, is to look carefully and then to say, okay, here you go. Unfortunately, now it's your turn. You have to make the choice.
0: Such explains my affinity and my love for cooking. It's not my profession. It used to be at one point, yeah, but man, yeah, yeah. it's just my passion, and it's how I, how I tend to uh, unwind. All right, Trish, we'll start with you. Speak to your colleagues. What do you want your colleagues to know? As they are not nearing retirement, mm-hmm. many of them are probably beginning their career. What what do they need to know from the uh, poster child, the prophet? And the icon about uh, finishing well or doing well as they continue their journey? Mm -hmm.
2: I think I would say um, stick with it. Because, as has already been alluded this afternoon, um, education, public education, is in a very uh, difficult time, I think. Um, We've already talked this afternoon about those forces that are just colliding with each other. Um, you know, we feel it in our own spirits. We see it on the news. Wherever you look, you you can see um, there's a collision course coming. So I think public education has become much less popular. In fact, having just written the program review, there it was a drop of 42% in enrollment in higher education for teachers at the undergraduate and master's level in these last 10 years. So that's much more than what we've experienced here at Lee. So 42% less people are going into teaching. So I'd say to my colleagues, um, stick with it and we need you.
1: Well. It's hard to pick one thing. I feel like okay, give us two. (laughs) (laughs) Give us two, (laughs) Ricky. It's fine. It feels like I've been answering this question every day for uh, ever since I announced my retirement last fall. Um, But I think about this all the time, Uh, and I've had the opportunity to uh, to do some team teaching with with a couple of colleagues, and uh, you know, so that experience has given me the chance you know to kind of pass the the torch and and to uh entrust you know some of the things i've been te- teaching some of the courses i've been teaching into the hands of others that are going to be here when i'm i'm gone um so I, i'm thinking about that in multiple ways but just generally i it, here's what i found myself talking about with um uh, with some of uh, my colleagues just yesterday. Uh, David Brooks, who is a columnist for the New York Times, wrote a book several years ago, kind of out of his uh, area of journalism. And it was a book on character called The Road to Character. And he has chapters on famous people, you know, from historic times to contemporary times. uh, And how, you know, they work their way to to lives of, of character. And um, he frames the book this way. I was talking with, with you, Trish, about mm-hmm. this uh, just today. Uh, he frames it in terms of eulogy values and resume values. And he admits that he spent too much of his life chasing resume values, uh, only to learn that. Uh, uh, eulogy values are the things really worth pursuing mm-hmm. and uh, what what gets spoken at funerals tends to prove that yeah I I think the book of Ecclesiastes mm-hmm. is an example of right near the beginning of the book a testimonial to somebody that spent way too much time chasing uh, resume values and they end up with a conclusion vanity of vanities all is vanity so to, don't don't waste your time uh, you know, get to work on chasing those
3: eulogy values.
1: Good, good.
3: That is wonderful. Thank you. I think I would say to my colleagues, um, it's worth it. It is really worth it. I look back, I still enjoy coming to work every day. I'm not (laughs) sure what I'm going to do next year. I'll (laughs) figure that out. (laughs) I really enjoy coming in and the challenges, which are many, I mean, every single class that, that sits before me is a different conglomerate of, of passions and interests and abilities and, and attitudes and approaches and that's, it, it keeps it interesting and lively and yet it is really difficult to, to make it work. In, in every in so many different so many different levels of this job. But I really do believe that keeping that vision in front of you all the time to say, why am I doing this? Well, I, want to, I, I really want to impact that next generation, however many I'm privileged to interact with and say, you know I made a difference because I worked at it and because God was merciful to me. To in to infuse me with uh, with the power and his spirit to, to let me do this job I would say the hard work is really worth it and uh, even when especially when students come back and say you know I really didn't like your course very much when I had it but now I appreciate it <laughs> you know and the ones that never you never hear from again uh, I, I still believe that it's it's really it's really worth the fight, uh, of, of the grind of, of the, the things that are sometimes tedious and difficult, but, uh, but on the other, on the, at the end, it's really for, for my money, the most rewarding profession I can imagine.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this, this is fun. We're gearing down now to the last few minutes left on the show. Um, but we're gearing down now to just some quick one-liner questions, uh, not a lot of commentary as I look at Dr. Moore and offer this, but not a lot of commentary <laughs> on it. But, um, Ouch. But uh, <clears throat> but I will go back to you, Dr. Moore, because you actually um, gave us one book, The Road to Character, but what's the favorite book you've ever read um, and what are you currently reading right now? And the same question for the other two of you. Is okay. it shifts from Dr. Moore to Trish, no, Dr. McCluck, and then to, uh, I'll just call him Phil, too. Okay. But yeah, Dr. That's Thomas. Right. Ricky, what, what's your favorite book you've ever read? Maybe it was maybe it was Brooks and then um,
1: what are you currently reading I'm not sure it's a favorite book I've ever read I'll think of something else when I leave here but um, or must here here's, here's, here's a book else. here's right. a, here's a book that I just really love and I think it's never been more relevant than where I am in life right now uh, it's a book called Tuesday's with Morrie. Oh. I saw my shelf yeah.
3: I love it yeah, I book. love
1: that book yeah. too yeah. yeah so I'll not do any commentary on it, but, <laughs> but the, the subtitle is "An Old Man, A Young Man, and yep. Life: Life's Greatest Questions," yeah. and it's uh, it's the, it's the journal of the young man who relating to the old man when the when the man is dying of terminal terminal disease, yeah. and he uh, he used that experience. The old man used that experience to teach the last course of his life. Yeah. So I think we are getting ready to teach the last <laughs> course of our life. and and i and for maury it was the best course of his life and 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 therein lies
0: the the relationship principle that you have lived so well dr moore on this campus as i watch you sit with students in in different places and i sit in the audience with students and mesmerized by your genuineness your passion your authenticity your love for the lord and how god just leaks out of you so uh Man, thank you for, for having done that for so many years. Great book choice, you must read, it's a must read.
1: Current book, uh, a, a biography of Solzhenitsyn, oh, okay. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, mm-hmm. yes. and I just stumbled into it because it was on the shelf of my daughter's home over Christmas break, and um, wow, Solzhenitsyn <laughs> is a prophet for our time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like so many prophets, he tended to be, get listened to and then kind of shuffled aside at the time, but now his words are, I mean, it's just like he wrote them yesterday about the communist East and the capitalist West wow. and the the and the trouble we're in, left mm. and right.
3: Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Wow. I, th- I think probably one of my favorite books is, it's just called Stories of Great Escapes. Um, so it's a series, uh, chapters of people who've escaped from Dire situations, uh, often in wartime situations. I love it because w- whilst we can look at all the, if you like, sin in the world, all the problems, um, the distress that's going on now, it gives a glimpse into what men can be. Um, how sometimes they've given their life for somebody else to escape, and so I, I just, I just love those kind of books. Mm. Um, yeah. What I'm reading now, I was actually thinking earlier, was I'm going to be so glad when I don't have to read education books <laughs> <laughs> and textbooks and all that kind but of But those thing. of us left here still have still to. Still have yeah. to do yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. student papers. Yeah. 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 And student there papers, yeah. There you go. Um, I bought Alan a book for Christmas that was on Churchill, and so I started to look at that. And, of course, I've read many on him before. Sure. Yeah. But, again, weaknesses in character, but also great strengths. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And that, that's the kind of thing I like, to see that what people can be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well,
0: and, and you Trish have been an incredible optimist for all of us. Thank you. Um, letting us know that we could mature, that we, we can continue, that we do have um, better days ahead for us. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, mm-hmm. thank you for that. Dr. Thomas?
3: I don't think it'll surprise my students that uh, one of my favorite books is about music in the 20th century. A, uh, by Alex Ross called The Rest is Noise, and he is so good at, and for musicians, for non-musicians and musicians, of putting the music that came out of the 20th century into its social and political context in ways that uh, I wish I could have written. And in terms of what I'm reading now, it's uh, It's a wish list of uh, what my Barnes and Noble gift cards will buy during retirement. (laughs) (laughs)
0: All right. So um, favorite food, favorite food. Quick, favorite food.
2: Mexican.
1: All right. Italian. All right.
3: Food, period. (laughs) (laughs) One time my daughter said lunch. I love it.
0: Now, Trish, this may be hard for you to choose one because you've been all over the world as well as the mm-hmm. other two folks, but oh, yeah. favorite place you've been? Wow.
2: I've got to say Ukraine.
0: Yeah.
2: Wow. I've been yeah. there 12... Alan and I have been there 12 times. 12 times. And wow. it's, it's a time of actually pretty great stress for us of seeing what's happening there. Yeah, for sure. We love those people. Alan's been called to... Slavic people for all his life, I guess. And mm-hmm. we feel heartbroken. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a wonderful place. Wonderful people. Wonderful music. Wonderful mm-hmm. faith.
0: Mm-hmm. Twelve times. Wow. Mm-hmm. I've never been mm-hmm. to that side.
3: I think the northern part of Italy. Yeah. some Somewhere between uh, in the Tuscan Valley. I just love it over there I, I don't want to live there but uh, but uh, but I just love it uh, uh, my memories of that area are mostly with Lee students and the, the cross-cultural trips we've been able to do mm-hmm. in music it's just delightful though the, anyway there are lots of other places we've been uh, that are in the top running that I I just can't choose one, but there it is.
0: <laughs> you know, um, you can go to Olive Garden, and you can actually um, get the memory of yeah. <laughs> <just Yeah. gonna laughs> just a, gonna something on the menu. So, uh,
1: Dr. Moore. This is true. Home. Ah. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's my favorite place. Yeah. That's one of the reasons retirement is, is a positive thought to me. That's my favorite place. I love the,
0: um, the Robert Frost quote given to me by my friend Cliff Schimmels, oh, yeah. which said that home is the place when you go there, they have to take you in. Mm-hmm. And Man, the three it's of good. you have made Lee a home for a lot of people, countless numbers of people that you'll never get a return thank you from. Mm-hmm. But um, one day, and I believe this, Wholeheartedly and it's deeply steeped in my spirit that one day when when you get to heaven either having went before you or after you will be a, um, a crowd or a trail of folks that will um, Have never had a chance to tell you things here But they're there because of you mm-hmm. and so for that reason guys I'm so delighted that we could find a um, Convenient schedule for <laughs> yeah. the three of you to join me here um, this has been a, a, a long-term thing for me for months since I first heard you each were retiring, and so um, Trish, to you and Alan, I, I wish you so well. I Thank hope you. that uh, you have a fantastic um, vacation and journey, and I know you're going to be based here, but you're probably going to go everywhere, and so Hopefully. Uh, man, I go. wish you wish <laughs> you well in that. And uh, Ricky, you and Jean, and um, you know, watching our president come to work while well, you don't have to—that's going to That's gonna be awesome. to <laughs> yeah. Sit on the front porch and. <laughs> yeah. uh, Rereading Tuesdays with Morrie and watches mm-hmm. uh, Doctor Walker pulls out of his driveway. Mm-hmm.
1: That'd be great. And when so, he comes uh, home, yeah. And when <laughs> he comes yeah. home, I'll be his corner man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: there you go. There you go. <laughs> Doctor Thomas, I can't help but tell this story. Years ago, when I um, did not even know you, and I remember uh, my wife going to work with you and, and for you as an administrative assistant, and I must tell you, she. She deeply uh, loved her time here, and she was so glad I'm she glad left before that. you announced your retirement, so that uh, <laughs> she wouldn't have had to have stayed, which her nature would have caused her to have done that. She's a full-time grandma and loving it. I don't know anybody else who has white carpet in their house, but Phil and Phil, Dale and Phil Thomas have. I don't know if you've changed it now since I've been there, but have white carpet in their house. And we had this this dinner thing, right? Like you go to the table and you eat, and I'll never forget it. They had red Kool-Aid. I mean, nobody but Dell serves red Kool-Aid for a clumsy person like William Lamb <laughs> to come into the kitchen or into the living room or dining room or wherever it was in this wonderful house. And I remember it well. I went in and man, I spilled, I spilled the red Kool-Aid on the white carpet. Unbelievable! The guy didn't get mad. She didn't get mad. She actually laughed about it. I was so afraid. My wife had just went to work for Phil. Um, Twilight Green. I remember oh, she yeah. was with me. And we were trying to to, 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 to kind of get some napkins and press all the red out of the
3: white. And I'll never forget Not that. a problem. Not really. a problem. And <laughs> Dell said, it's
0: okay. And she came in with some kind of chemical something. And uh, having said that story and giving that illustration, um, man, you guys have been a stain remover for a lot of people by giving them a place mm-hmm. to belong, by creating the capacity for them to believe by challenging them to give more for their talent than what's normally anticipated or expected because he gave more when he gave them the gift. And so to you three guys, I wanna say thank you. Thank you for uh, making an investment in my life that you didn't even know you did. Mm-hmm. And thank you for joining me today on, on this episode. Last closing thoughts, anything?
3: Thank you just so much, it was a, it was a pleasure.
2: Same thing. Thank you, William, for all you've done. here.
1: here. Yeah. Yes. Thank you, William. Mm-hmm. We appreciate you. And thank you, Luke, for
0: sitting over here on the engineer table for us, <laughs> and uh, we're glad you're here. Hey, guys, I hope you've enjoyed this episode of SurfCast. I'm telling you, I want you to share this one. I want you to like it, and I want you to comment. I want you to rate it. It makes a huge difference in how we continue to reach out on the web. Here's what I know. The stories you've heard from these three folks are actually just a, a glimpse in the world in which they live. I don't know where you're approaching in life. I don't know what stage you're in. But what I know is this. If you'll take this moment to um, speak less, listen well to the stories they've told, and learn more, your time's going to come when you're going to be able to step into the chaos and make an incredible lasting impact in everybody around you. Thank you for joining us. Think about it. And have a fantastic day.
3: Thanks for tuning in to SurfCast with Dr. William Lamb. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at SurfCast to stay updated on special guests and future episodes.